The following is a sermon from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information and resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Good morning, Park Church. The scripture reading today is from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 22. It's on page 519 of those black hard book Bibles. If you do not have a Bible and would like one, feel free to take one of those home with you as a gift from Park Church. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, Even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts. For that is for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. What can bring him to see what will be after him? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate that. Good morning. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here. So 
Glad uh, to worship with you all. Really appreciate you being here. Uh, For those that are new to Park Church, I want to say welcome to you. It's uh, always a gift when people come and join us for uh, a Sunday. And so thank you so much for coming. We worship Jesus every Sunday like this. We turned him together, coming from all different experiences and weeks and things that we're all going through, stories that we have. We come here together Sunday after Sunday to turn to Jesus together. Uh, But we also go from this place and we continue to grow as a community throughout the week in different forms and fashions. We try to learn how to love our city and serve our city in different ways throughout the week. And so if you're interested in getting more involved beyond a Sunday gathering, we'd love to meet you after the service. And we have a short meeting in a room back in the gallery over there. It says new here. We take about 10 minutes to get to know you a little bit, uh, hear a little bit of your story, but also any questions you have and try to give you some ways to get more involved in our community. Um, And so if that would serve you in any way, we'd love to get to know you right after the service. Uh, We're going to be in a passage today that's going to just talk about uh, the reality of life being this complex interplay and web of all different times and seasons. And so we walk in today and all of us are coming from different places there. Uh, We have people in our community that are walking through really painful stuff right, right now that are feeling a lot of weeping. For you, there might be a lot of laughing. And everything in between and, uh, and I wish in some sense we could just sit down and just talk about where you're at. But what I want to say to you is the Holy Spirit knows exactly where you're at as you come in. So, so many of us carry this kind of complex web of both joys and sorrows into the space. The Holy Spirit sees you and he cares about you. And our prayer is that Jesus would meet you in the midst of, of what you're going through in life to remind you of his steadfast love, his faithfulness that is true and is there, his mercies that are new every morning and his grace that's sufficient for you. And so I'm gonna pray that the Holy Spirit would do that um, this morning as we walk into this passage together, that the Holy Spirit would meet you exactly where you're at and remind you that his steadfast love is there for you. And so would you pray uh, with me today? I'm Jesus, I'm coming into this space right now with a heavy heart uh, for friends and people grieving things. My own own emotions are, are there. I feel mourning and sadness, but also also areas where I feel gratitude and joy. And I imagine every person in this room comes in with a a mixture of experiences and thoughts and feelings and coming in from different seasons. And so would you remind us of your great faithfulness? Uh, We just sang it summer and winter, springtime and harvest, the sun, the moon, and the stars and their courses above. They join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. To your faithfulness, your mercy, and love. So would you manifest yourself to every human in this room, to every person, wherever they're at, and remind them that your steadfast love is better than life. Would you remind them that your steadfast love is here. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, that your mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. And would you uh, allow to grow up within us in all of these seasons from all these places, hearts of worship to come to you, holding fast to your wisdom, your love, your nearness, and your grace. And so would you pour out your spirit this morning on your people and remind us of your nearness, your love, and your faithfulness that we most beautifully see in Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection, and the promise that he will make all things new. And so we trust you, Jesus. Would you help us to trust you more? In Christ's name, amen. It is um, the second day of fall. In case you didn't know that, you need to know that. It's an important thing. Fall is 
for sure my favorite season of the year. It's my wife's favorite season of the year. All right, anybody fall people? Fall people, all right. A lot of fall people in Colorado. If you're new to Colorado, maybe from the south, fall is a season where things slowly die. Um, and so you just need to know it's, it's beautiful and it's sad all at the same time. Um, and so if, if you're familiar, you know, there are so many things that kind of change as you approach fall. Apparently there are like um, wardrobe decisions you're now like free to make and can't make. I don't know anything about this. Somebody told me one time, you're, well, you're, allowed, you're not allowed to wear a plaid in the summer, Gary. I'm like, who said that? I don't even know. I don't know. But I've been trying to follow that, you know, uh, for the past few years. Uh, but you can wear plaid now, guys. Uh, ladies, I'm sure there are rules for you. I have no idea what any of them are. I thought about it uh, just yesterday. I was like, I should look a couple of those up. I'm like, nope, don't want to care. I just like, <laughs> I don't even want to know. And, and if you don't know, I would encourage you to not even care. It's a better way to live um, your fashion styles. Uh, so, you, you know, clothes change. It's the season of year where you need to start finding the moment on the calendar when you're going to go up to Kenosha Pass and see the leaves change. You just need to, it's not, we're not there yet but you need to start planning because you'll have like a couple week window, but really it's just a few optimal days. Uh, and you and the rest of Colorado will be going up 285 to Kenosha Pass. And so try to do it, take off work and go like in the middle of a Wednesday or something like that. Uh, but you want to see that, you got to figure that out. The leaves are going to be changing. Uh, it's beautiful. For my family, um, fall, we kind of began this yesterday. We make soups. My, I say we, my wife is like this queen of soups. She makes incredible soups and she never writes down the recipe, which drives me nuts. I'm like, you need to write that down. And she doesn't. And then the next time, still good, but it's different, but it's always good. Uh, so we do soups and we do um, on Sundays often super chilly. And then we watch the Broncos build up our hope and then dash our hope every Sunday. Um, that's become a tradition for us over the past several years. And so that's happening right now, if you didn't know, sorry. Um, uh, but it's happening right now. So the Broncos every year, you know, Sunday after Sunday in the fall, will kind of build up your hope and then crush them periodically. And they'll continue to do that until either Peyton Manning or John Elway come out of retirement. Uh, those are the only good eras in, in Broncos history. So um, that's a thing to expect in the fall, right? And I've learned this for the past... 15 years of living in Colorado, that each season has its kind of beautiful things and its challenges, and you learn how to adapt. Like you also need to know in the fall uh, about layering. You need to layer clothes in the fall. In the, in the morning, it's gonna be cold in the morning, but it's going to warm up. That sun, that Colorado sun is gonna shine. It's going to warm up, but if you go to like an afternoon evening event, that sun is gonna set and it's gonna get cool again. So you just need to be prepared for these things. This is autumn in Colorado. In, this, in the wintertime, you'll feel it. When it, it's February and you have that 60-degree day, it is not springtime. It's just, it's just messing with you. Uh, Colorado weather is messing with you. You need to learn that a 60-degree day in February is not like this harbinger of spring. It's not this like early spring. It's just, it happens. And you learn these things, right? You learn these things, you learn about kind of like the Colorado snows. They're different than Chicago snow. Colorado snow, it'll snow in the morning, it'll melt in the afternoon, you have a beautiful day, you could play in the park in the afternoon, it'll be wonderful. In Chicago, when it snows in Chicago in November, it stays on the ground and gets grayer and nastier and nastier until about mid-March and then it starts thawing. And so just learn these things. 15 years of living in Colorado, you learn that there are really incredible things in these seasons, there are challenges, and you learn these things by, by paying attention and thinking about it. By paying attention and thinking about it, you, you pay attention to the changing of the seasons, and you learn to adapt your expectations and kind of prepare. Not all the seasons are the same, like the first part of the summer was way more rainy than any summer in Colorado history, so there are kind of like 
outlying kind of experiences, but you learn that there are kinds of things that happen in different seasons, and you learn by, by paying attention and then considering it. Today we're looking at a passage in Ecclesiastes 3 where the teacher in Ecclesiastes, this Kohelet figure, has paid attention to the seasons of life and has taken time to think about it. Taken time to think about it. Paid attention to the various seasons in his own life and in the history of the world and taken time to consider it. You'll find this phrase that shows up multiple times in chapter 3, a couple phrases, but it shows up throughout the whole story that I saw, I saw something, and then I said in my heart, or I considered, or at times they'll say, I saw and I perceived. And it's saying, I observed things, and I took time to kind of contemplate and chew on that over time, and I came to some conclusions about the nature of things and how stuff tends to work in this world, and I'm trying to kind of re, kind of like uh, orient my expectations and my approach to life based on just the way I see things tend to work out, both in my own life and in the history of the world. And what this author is going to do is kind of frame life as, as a kind of movement and an interplay of different seasons and times. And he's going to walk through a really beautiful poem to kind of unpack the different kinds of seasons and times that tend to happen in life. And then the second half of the chapter, he's going to say, okay, so what does this like do? How do we live in this kind of world with these kinds of times and these kinds of seasons? And is it headed anywhere? Where did that come from and where is it headed? And my sense is this is this paradigm of seeing life as a movement of seasons has, has been really transformative for me over the past few years. And learning in all of these seasons, what does it look like to trust God in the different seasons and to receive from him an invitation to growth, different kinds of growth that he opens up for us in the different seasons of life, different ways of trusting him in different experiences and times. And so my prayer is that this would be a really uh, liberating time and a time where we learn to actually live congruently with the nature of this world and to trust God in whatever season of life that you're in as we learn to hope in the life to come. And so we'll look together at uh, Ecclesiastes starting in chapter three, verse one. We'll look at the first poem, which is really cool. Um, the, the teacher in Ecclesiastes begins chapter three by quoting a song from the 1960s called Turn, Turn, Turn. Uh, it was catchy even back there in like 300 BC already was there. And so a uh, really, really beautiful poem. It's an iconic passage um, that's really beautiful and has a really profound meaning for us. So look with me, chapter three, starting in verse one. The teacher says this, for everything there is a season and there's a time for every matter under heaven. And he's going to walk through it. The first thing I'm going to want us to see from this passage is that we are called to embrace the seasons of life as the instructive context for your form formation. That we're going to learn to embrace the seasons of life, the various different seasons of life as the instructive context, not just the context, but it actually has instructive value for your formation, for your formation. So what the author is going to do is going to unpack 14 pairs of kind of contrasts. 14 pairs of contrast. And he's using a literary device called merismas. And merismas is essentially a series of merisms. And as we all know, merisms are a literary device where you take these two parts or a part to represent a whole, right? And so if I wanted to say, you know, we searched high and low, it wouldn't mean that we didn't search in the middle. It wouldn't mean that. We know that, right? High and low just means everywhere. If I said, I'll be there, rain or shine, you're like, will you be there if it's overcast? I'm like, yes. I just mean, no matter what the weather's like, 
I'll be there, right? And so that's a merism where you use some part to represent a whole. A merismus is just a kind of an, an elaborate series of those to communicate wholeness. And so there's going to be 14, 14 pairs. Also in Hebrew kind of literature, both the author and the readers were familiar with these kind of conventions of numbers having value. And the number seven has immense value, kind of multiples of seven have values for completeness or wholeness. So this sense of like 14 pairs of these contrasts. The kind of end result isn't that this, that this teacher is trying to itemize the things. It's representing a wholeness, the totality of life under the sun. Here are the kinds of things that happen under the sun. And so when you read there's a time to be born and a time to die, it's not trying to disregard the in-between. It's just saying there's a time for the different seasons of life. When you read there's a time for war and there's a time for peace, it also includes times of like minor conflict and skirmishes. Uh, it, it, it's, it's looking at the whole of it. So let's kind of walk through these. We're not going to go item by item, but I want us to kind of see the kind of the broad kind of uh, lay of the land, and then we'll talk about what the impact of this poem is. It says this, a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. There's a time to kill and there's a time to heal. Another point, uh, this is not prescriptive. In other words, it's not telling you like, I wonder if it's about my time to kill. You know, uh, that would make you a psychopath um, and we should, you should chat with somebody. Uh, <laughs> I'll say we should chat. You should chat with somebody. I'm not sure it should be me. Um, there's a time to kill and a time to die. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. It's saying when you look at life, these are the kinds of things that happen. There are times where people are being killed and there are times when there's healing. There's a time to break down and a time to build up. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time to cast away stones and there's a time to gather stones together. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And every introvert in the room is like, thank God for that line. They're like, somebody comes up and they're like, I'm a hugger. You're like, I'm not a hugger. You know, like... We, we need to both be huggers in order for this to be like a, a, like a consensual experience. Um, there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. There's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. There's a, there's a time for everything, for every season, for every matter under heaven. What the author's looking at in the kind of the, the only real kind of like rhythm to it is looking at this birth and death as the beginning and everything else doesn't seem to have a lot of like order or kind of like reason for where it's ordered. And so the idea is, we've been talking about this, you walk onto the stage of life. It's like the teachers approach life in this world as a stage and you enter, you come on stage right and you walk onto the stage and he's just exploring the kinds of things that happen as you make your way through life. Through the life, there's war and there's peace, there's love and there's hate, there's weeping and there's laughing, there's dancing and there's mourning, there's planting and there's uprooting, there's sowing and there's rending and all these things happen and then you go out and you have the time to die. The time to be born and the time to die set the stage of your life and on that stage these are the kinds of things and they happen in the author's words in these seasons. There's seasons of life. 
Again, he's representing the totality of life, but a totality of life that happens in seasons. And so when I can talk about the 15 years I've spent in Colorado, which is more than some of you, but less than many of you, uh, I, I have perceived, as I've observed the seasons, and I've come to expect things of Colorado, and I've come to expect things of autumn, and expect things of winter, and expect things of spring, and expect things of summer. I've come to expect certain things, and I've learned to adapt my expectations and how I approach life based on the different kinds of seasons that happen. And the author is trying to give you that lay of the land when you live. As much as you try to protect all the good, happy kind of like sets of the pairs, there are also times for the negative sets of the pairs. It's not saying you have to hunt them down or try to create them, but learning to live aware that the pairs happen. The, the couplings happen. What's also beautiful about the, the use of poetry here, and I think Kohelet or the teacher in Ecclesiastes is this brilliant um, kind of like um, user of metaphors. His br- brilliant metaphors. The word hevel itself is a stunning metaphor used throughout in all these different ways. But the same thing with this. If you're, if you're saying, well, what does he mean by a time to plant and a time to pluck up what's planted? Does that literally mean a time to heart, like plant your like, crops or kind of plant your gardens or plant your raised bed or whatever it is and a time to pluck up and harvest what you planted? Yes. It also could totally mean a time to set down roots in a new place and a time to lift up those roots from that place. You can, the metaphors are, are beautiful. The, the poetry gives room for you to begin to explore all the ways that these images might resonate with you literally and also might resonate with you figuratively in different areas of your own life and your own experience. And so he's stepping back to look at the reality that we live in a world that is marked by seasons. You live in a world that is marked by both life and death, beauty and brokenness, joy and sorrow, order and chaos, love and hate. And we need to learn to approach life in that way and to try to contrive a life where all you do is protect and hold fast to and try to like ignore or diminish the realities of the stuff that is less pleasant, that is more kind of like um, disturbing or disquieting in some way the more you're pushing against the, na- the natural reality of things. And so what we're trying to learn to do and what we're invited to learn how to do is to embrace the seasons. Embrace the seasons as the instructive context where we are formed, where we grow. To learn to em- embrace them in different ways and the different kinds of seasons that come into our life. And so there are different seasons, different ways of thinking about this. You could have in your own life what I, I'll refer to as micro-seasons, which are like short seasons of life. Like um, maybe it's been like uh, you're feeling like a little bit discouraged in your job and it's been a discouraging season in your workplace. It's a discouraging season. Maybe that's been a few months, maybe it's been a couple years, but it's been a discouraging season. Maybe it's a season where you really feel really like fruitful and excited about what God's put before you and what he's called you to do in your life. What a cool thing. That's a beautiful season. So grateful for that. Maybe it's a season where there's a new relationship that's just thriving and friendships feel like good and you just feel like there's like so much, you feel surrounded by people that know you and care about you. Just find a lot of joy. Maybe you're in a season where you feel like you don't have a lot of deep relationships where friends have moved away, relationships have dissolved. So it's seasons. And we kind of go through them in different ways. Maybe you're in a season where your marriage is thriving or you're in a season where it feels really cold and distant. Maybe it's a season where medically your health is like, you've been feeling pretty good recently. And maybe you're in a season where you're battling chronic pain or just this medical issues that you're facing and struggling with. 
These are the kind of seasons that come and go with different regularity and in different kind of sectors of your life. They can kind of be in different experiences. Your career life might be in one space and your family life might be in another, your friendship or your own spiritual life. These are at play and they are a part of life. They're part of life. To expect life to feel always positive, always happy all the time is not real. It's not real. It will lead to a kind of anxiety that will crush you. What does it mean to get real? I would say those are the micro seasons. Then I would say there's sort of like a, the macro seasons of life, which we've talked about in this kind of like journey from, from birth to death, right? You come into the world and there's like this youthfulness and this childhood, this adolescence, and you have the kind of young adult years where you're beginning to like establish yourself and kind of like relationally developing like roots, whether that's through your single life and your friendships and your church life or through family, whatever it might be. You have a career that's kind of growing. As you grow in your career, you're like deciding and clarifying what, what are you good at and what do you give your life to, whatever that might be. And, and as you do that, you begin to kind of like fade into the middle of life. And, and as you're in the middle of life, you're like learning, you're kind of like building on a foundation that was set in your earlier years. In time, you're beginning to think about retirement. Maybe you're like, I've been thinking about retirement since I was 22 years old. Like, okay, it's not that season yet. It might be, but it's not yet for the majority of you. And then so you got to think about what is God doing here and what does it mean to let go? of these things and actually let go of my career, see my kids off and they're going to college and they're moving out and and to kind of walk through these different seasons of life and to learn that there's beauty and there's difficulty in every season. And so I've shared a lot of the stuff in this season of my life. I'm feeling a lot of learning to face my weakness, learning to embrace my own failures, learning to surrender my dreams and ambitions to God, learning to trust him in pain and sorrow, learning to pay attention to my own shame and learning to trust God. That's where I am right now. It's not where I was in my early 20s. In my early 20s, I was a go-getter, like to the max, and I'm not convinced that that was wrong. Like it was important to build a life that I'm now learning to let go. Like there's a, there's a time in life where it should be kind of like, let's go, let's do this. And then there's a time in life where it was like, let, let go. Like, let go. It's time to let go. And so if we offer kind of like wisdom about like just let go and like trust God and like you're in a stage of life where you need to be building, you need to be building. It's a time to build. It's a time to pursue. It's a time to, it's a time to build a life. And that takes effort and energy. And then there's a time where the life you thought you were gonna build has changed and it's different and you have to learn how to let that go and trust God with reality of what is. It doesn't mean the wisdom isn't valuable for the different seasons, but there are these kinds of seasons in life. There are seasons in life, these macro seasons. There are also seasons in culture, seasons in culture and in history, right? There are kingdoms that rise and kingdoms that fall. For example, like to live here and now today is different than to live in the 1980s. It's different. To be a college student in 2001 to 2005 is different to be a college student in 2000. 20 to 2025 or 24 or whatever it is. To be raising a family in the 50s is different to be raising a family in the kind of like post iPhone era. It's like there there are differences, but there are also like rises and falls of whole civilizations, right? The optimism of life in our American culture and that for, for many people groups, but not for every people group, uh, but for many people groups, the kind of like optimism and the kind of like America, you know, that existed uh, broadly uh, and the kind of like you know, 1990s, 2000s, is not the same right now. It's not the same. There's a disillusionment. The world's paying attention to things. There's tension, there's division. There's not that kind of same optimism. It's just, it's a different season in life. Again, that might hit you in different ways in different times, but learning that there are seasons. 
There are seasons in life, and you could look at the kind of, the kind of historical seasons, these kind of epochs in history. You could look at the micro seasons that you're in. You could look at the kind of macro season of your life, and they might all land differently, but learning to pay attention that each season has value and can be really instructive in a context where God is inviting you towards growth, towards growth, different kinds of growth. And growth in this season might look different than it looked like in the last season. What you're learning to trust God with now might be different than what you were learning to trust God with in the past season of your life. And learning to pay attention to that and have a sense of what's, what's on the table of life is what the author is preparing us for. I mentioned that this book, this chapter, and this, for, this really paradigm has been really significant for me. Um, somebody that unpacked it beautifully, I, I quoted this at one of the services uh, a, a few weeks ago, a few weeks back, um, a book by a guy named Parker Palmer called Let Your Life Speak. I think I quoted at the nine, and then the nine o'clock service was really long, so I took it out of the 11 o'clock service, and the service was still really long. And I don't know how that happens. Um, it has something to do with the time to keep silence, well, which is clearly a struggle for me. Um, uh, so I'm gonna, I want to read to you this paradigm. It's from a book called Let Your Life Speak, which is about vocation, but his last chapter is called There is a Season. And it came from a kind of a standalone article he had written. And this is, I think, profound. But Parker Palmer is reflecting on this concept of the different seasons of life. And it's going to be a long quote. I'll kind of walk us through aspects of it. But I think it, it's worth uh, walking through. He says this. The notion that our lives are like the eternal cycle of the seasons does not deny the struggle or the joy, the loss or the gain, the darkness or the light, but it encouraged us to embrace it all and to find in all of it opportunities for growth. If we accept the notion that our lives are dependent on an inexorable cycle of seasons, on a play of powers that we can conspire with but never control, we run headlong into a culture that insists, against all evidence, that we can make whatever kind of life we want, whenever we want it. Deeper still, we run headlong into our own egos, which want desperately to believe that we are always in charge. We need to challenge and reform these distortions of culture and ego. Reform them towards ways of thinking and doing and being that are rooted in respect for the living ecology of life. He's saying we, we tend to think of like building our life and this kind of like aspiration of what we want to build and our whole life is building towards that. Like this kind of like manufacturing plant, this post-industrial revolution, kind of like up into the right movement. He's saying that's not real. We are organic beings. We are created beings made from the dust of the earth. To dust we shall return. And, and it's probably healthier to think of our growth as, a, as a part, more like a tree. A tree legit grows, but it grows with seasons of like youthfulness and young and vulnerable, but then it establishes deeper roots and it has in each season the kind of springtime, the summer, the fall, and the winter, the springtime, the summer, the fall, and the winter, seasons where it feels like things are dying, season where it looks like things are dead, seasons where new life is emerging, seasons where it feels all gangly and out of control, you can't even manage all the growth that's happening, and seasons where it feels bare and empty and desolate, and you're wondering if anything's even alive and going to come back the next season. And all the while, that tree grows and establishes deeper and deeper roots. It might be a healthier paradigm to think about what it looks like to grow and mature in life. And so the seasons, so, so Parker Palmer walks through the four seasons, and I want to highlight two of them that I think are harder for us, and the two that were really profound for my own, my own experience. And the first is autumn. 
again, uh, which we're entering into now, such a beautiful time in our own state. And so he reflects on autumn, and he talks about the beauty of the leaves changing colors. It's beautiful, but it's just beautiful for a season. And then the leaves begin to fall. Just like in Kenosha Pass or wherever you go to see those aspen groves, it'll be beautiful, but you'll miss it because they'll begin to fall. And while that, that beauty is falling to the ground, it feels like everything's dying. It's actually sowing seeds for new life, but not immediately. Like you don't know what's gonna grow on the other side of the winter, but the seeds have been sown in the, in the dying of the autumn. The seeds have been sown for the life in the spring. You'll have the winter time that you have to wait and wonder and trust and hope. And so he says this with respect to his own life in the fall. He says, in retrospect, speaking of the autumns of his life, I can see in my own life what I could not see at the time, how the job I lost helped me find work I needed to do, how the road closed sign turned me toward terrain I needed to travel, how losses that felt irredeemable forced me to, to discern meanings I needed to know. On the surface, it seemed that life was lessening, but silently and lavishly, the seeds of new life we're always being sown. I think that's a profound thing in the, in the dying of a relationship or the dying of a dream or the dying of certain expectations of what your career or your health or your family would look like. When those things are dying, when you can come to terms and embrace that season, not as an enemy of your soul, but as an instructive context that can lead to maturity, deep roots, formation, new opportunities, things that God might want to do that you could never imagine or foresee. You can find even in the dying of the autumn, even when things are fading and falling, you can find the ability to trust that God is the God who brings life out of death, beauty from ashes, graves out of, or gardens out of graves. He does these things and it's a part of the cycle of the seasons. He talks about winter in a way that I think is really profound. I'm gonna read this section because this is what this is where I've been for the past couple of years, is learning to meet with God in the winter. He says this, another gift of winter is the reminder that times of dormancy and deep rest are essential to all living things. Despite all appearances, of course, nature is not dead in winter. It has gone underground to renew itself and prepare for spring. Winter is a time when we are admonished and even inclined to do the same for ourselves. Our inward winters take many forms, failure, betrayal, depression, death. But every one of them, in my experience, yields the same advice. And now he's gonna quote something that was said to him growing up in like Wisconsin area. The winters will drive you crazy until you learn to get out into them. Until we enter boldly into the fears we most want to avoid, those fears will dominate our lives. But when we walk directly into them, protected from frostbite by the warm garb of friendship or inner discipline or spiritual guidance, we can learn what they have to teach us. Then we discover once again that the cycle of the seasons is trustworthy and life-giving, even in the most dismaying season of all. That idea was massive for me, to learn that the things I'm most afraid of, my own vulnerability, my own shame and regrets, failure, being misunderstood, uh, being kind of like uh, people seeing my, my weakness and my limitations. Um, th these things for me 
are like terrifying things. And, and in seasons where it felt like all of those fears are being exposed, like learning to, instead of like just be speed back and get to the spring and trying to convince everybody, no, everything's gonna be good. My family, everything's gonna be good. And if I, well, I look, look, there's green there and I promise green's gonna come up there and spring's coming. I'm sure it's right around the corner. Like I gotta like find ways to like show it's gonna be okay instead of like, what does it mean? Maybe there's something God wants to teach me in the midst of failure, shame, regret, weakness, sadness. What if he's there? And what if meeting him there brings a kind of freedom and a peace to face the realities of life? And that's what I'm learning right, right now. I'm like in that. So that's where I am right, right now. Learning to trust God there. And God is beautiful in the winter. He's beautiful in the winter. The winter brings a kind of clarity to see things and what matters and what doesn't matter. But it's painful to grieve lost friendships and relationships, dreams and expectations. But as you learn to grieve them and face them, healing begins to happen. And he begins to kind of unearth new areas of growth. And I can begin to feel some of that. But I'm learning to not try to like push past everything and just like trust God with the season that I'm in. So what season are you in? It might be a springtime. What a gift. There's growth, there's joy, there's friendship. There might be an area in your life where things are going really beautifully. What a gift. It might be so springy, like that kind of part of spring that's like so overwhelming that you can't keep up with the lawn, you can't keep up with everything. Everything's growing and it's kind of too much. And it's like so many cool opportunities and friendships and relationships. Things just feel busy with good things. I hear that from a lot of people. What a gift. What a gift. Learning how to like own your own limits in that space and how to trust God, but also how to thank him for all that abundance. What a gift. It might be a summertime where like, man, like you've been building and there was a springtime, but you're just kind of enjoying life. It doesn't feel particularly hard or particularly sad. There's just like, what a gift to enjoy that. There might be a couple weeks where the, you know, rain doesn't come and the lawn looks a little parched, but like more or less, you're like feeling like a sweet spot. Again, that might be different with your family with your career, with your health, with your finances, with your spiritual life with God. So what, what season are you in? What season are you in? Preparing your heart for these things helps us not try to like keep the leaves on the tree all winter. The anxiety of keeping things looking like vibrant and thriving and happy and full, that's not real. That will crush you. It has crushed me. That's what kind of began my descent into the winter was finally learning I can't keep the trees green all the time. I can't keep all the areas of my life like looking happy and good all the time. Like there's real pain and I have to come to terms with that. And God's there beautifully, redemptively, comforting. I'm learning things about God and relating to him in new ways over the past couple years that I'd never experienced before. And what is that for you? What's that for you? So we're invited to embrace the seasons as this time, this space where God forms us. But the question that kind of begs for both the teacher in Ecclesiastes and for us is like, is it just this endless cycle? Is it just like on and on and on, like ad nauseum, it's just gonna keep on going and dying and going and dying? Is it headed anywhere? Where did it come from? And that's what he deals with. He kind of deals with like, is it just this endless cycle? And so he says this, verse nine. So what gain has a worker from all his toil? Like what profit is there? So you like, you like your tree, right? The tree thing, you like rise and fall and rise and fall. You go through the seasons and then like as a tree, you get old and then you, you fall down and you go through that thing. And like what, why, why did it matter? What's the point? Is it just kind of like deal with it and endure the seasons? That's like the stoic kind of mantra. It's just kind of like 
love the fate, like love fate. This is what happens. Fall in love with it, is what it is. Deal with it, endure with virtue and character, deal with it. And you say, no, no, there's, there's a sense in the human experience that there, this comes from somewhere and it's headed somewhere. That it's not just this endless cycle of life. It comes from somewhere, has an origin story, and it has a future, a meaningful future. And so that's what he says. He says, I've seen the business that God has given to children man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Like every season, the light, even the interplay and the contrast between the light and the dark brings a beauty and, a, and, a, and something that helps you understand the nature of things that, that is meaningful and whole. He says this, also he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And so you have a sense, every person has a sense, something came before me, not just generations, but this whole thing came from somewhere. And maybe where it came from would make sense of why there's so much beauty and pain, joy and sorrow, love and hate, peace and war, planting and up. Maybe, maybe the origin story has some sense of it, but like that's before my time. And then when I go through this door over here, like I know I'm buried and my, my body decays, but like I have this sense that there might be something more over there. So God's put this sense of eternity into our heart, but we can't fully understand what came before and what came after. But the author's saying this is in us and so we're inclined towards God to, to trust him with the big story. That he's a God who's writing a bigger story. And so that's the second and final observation. I have a couple sub points to this. But it's to trust the God who governs the seasons toward his redemptive purposes. Trust the God who governs the seasons toward his redemptive purposes. So he, he kind of lays out this sense of like, you have a sense that there's an origin story. And we've learned from our own, our own kind of walk through the Bible that this origin story makes sense that, of course, there's beauty and goodness and love and joy and peace and planting and thriving. Of course, those things, because God made the world and he made it good. The world is surrounded by beautiful things. Your life is surrounded by beautiful things. There's beauty all around you. But we also learn the origin of the, of the sorrow and the pain and the death from our own rejection of God's reign over us. There's a corruption in our own life and in the world around us. There's a decay to the material world itself. There's injustice that he talks about, even where there's righteousness. Seems like injustice is there. There's beauty and brokenness right there together. There's like dignity and worth and value to every human being created. And there's also sin and corruption in every human being created. It's there. And so we understand that story. The question is like, where is it headed? Is it headed somewhere? And what he's saying is you can trust the God who holds all the times and all the seasons, that he's doing something. Even if we can't discern all of it or make sense of all of it, he's doing something. So it gives a few kind of like thoughts of how to engage in this space. And the first one is simply this, to enjoy life, all of it, as a gift from God. A way to trust God is to learn how to enjoy life, all of it, as a gift from God. Look at what he says here in the passage. It says, verse 12, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to humanity. This is the gift. Your life, with its beauty and the brokenness and the joys and the sorrows and all the seasons therein, is a gift. And learning to thank God for that gift is a healthy thing. Whether it's in the springtime, in the summer, in the fall, or the winter, your life is a gift. 
You're surrounded by beauty. The world is full of abundant, manifold things that testify. We sing it, right? All of creation, these, these kind of the sun, moon, and stars, and the courses above, they join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Your life is surrounded, the friendships, the food, the drink, the culture, the love, the, the community, the job, the meaning, the beauty around us. Learning to live with gratitude and to enjoy the gift that is life is a way to begin to live congruence with the seasons. It's not only, it's not only joyful, there's real pain. There's real pain, there's real grief, there's real seasons of dying, there are times for mourning. There are a lot of people in our community that have felt a lot of mourning this week. A lot of people in our community that feel a lot of grief in this season. When things are getting torn down and things are getting rended, torn, ripped, when things are, when things are experiencing pain and loss, there's real grief. There's real grief, but learning to actually trust God and to also at the same time feel the beauty helps you live in a way that trusts that God is bringing this whole story somewhere. Somewhere. So he says, eat and drink and enjoy it. Contribute to the good with your life. Second thing, not just to enjoy life as a gift from God, but also value the struggle as a gift from God. It says in that line in verse 13, it says, and to enjoy or take pleasure in all his toil. The, the phrase there is to tell your soul that the struggle is good. The struggle is good. That, that's a hard thing to say because when it says toil, it's just saying like the, the difficulty of, of making your way through life. When it's difficult, there's a, there's a value there. Why is that valuable? It, it's valuable because the difficulty, the sort of thorns and thistles, the, um, the futility that God has subjected the world to is instructive for us. It reminds us as human beings who rejected the reign of the creator that we cannot build the Garden of Eden without God. You cannot establish our own kingdom without the king. You cannot build a, a thriving, flourishing, full life without the giver of life in relationship with him. You can't, you can't do that. And so when you feel the thorns and the thistles and the futility and the pain and the corruption, even in egregious ways, it's a reminder we need God outside of us to intervene in human history to bring forgiveness, atonement, cleansing, healing, transformation, and hope. We need him to do that. And if life is just like awesome all the time, and if God gives us his ability to kind of like take all the good parts of creation and kind of pull them in our little experience, our little, our little ball of life, and expel all the bad things where we can just kind of create our own little Garden of Eden, then we've done what Adam and Eve did in the very first sin. We've said we can do, do this on our own. We can make our own garden. We can find our own joy and our own pleasure without regard to the creator. And God, in his love for us, because that will not fundamentally work, it will lead to pain and destruction and death, has sown into our existence a futility that we have this sense we need salvation. We need a deliverer. We need to be redeemed. We need to be reconciled. We need to be forgiven. We need a, a, a deliverance from outside of ourselves to intervene. And that's what Jesus had come to do. Even the futility teaches us to trust more deeply in Christ and his life, his death, his resurrection, and his promise that he will come again and make all things new. When there's pain in life, 
It teaches you to trust in these things. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 will talk about the pain that he and his kind of team of church planters experienced. He said, indeed, we are so utterly burdened beyond our own strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, it felt as though we had received a death sentence. But this was to get us to hope not in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. That pain that he experienced where it felt like, I feel like I've been sentenced to death. Life is so hard all the time. Good thing there's a resurrection because I'm following Jesus through the cross into the resurrection. So I'm willing to participate in the suffering because Jesus came down and participated with us in the suffering to atone for it and to redeem it and to give us hope of a life to come. This is what God gives us the hope to do. And when we learn to value the struggle as this instructive power to deepen our roots in our faith in Christ and in his kingdom, it is healing. James says it like this in James chapter one, verse two. Brothers and sisters, consider it joy when you fall into trials of various kinds, knowing that the trying of your faith produces endurance. Let this endurance, this steadfastness, have its full effect that you may be complete and mature, lacking nothing. It's like that tree that as it's growing, when the winds howl and the storms come, it sinks its roots down deeper and deeper. And that little tree that was just a sapling grows up to be an oak of righteousness that can endure and can be a kind of a, bring shelter and love and care and grace to other people as other people are learning to also trust in God in the midst of their own seasons and their own journey. That we would become a community with oaks of righteousness, pillars of faith. And the trials cultivate that. The struggle cultivates that. And the last thing that we're called to do as we do this is to actually learn to trust in the redemptive purposes of God. The redemptive purposes. It's not just about endurance, like the Stoics would say. It's about endurance and patience. It's waiting. It's trusting in a future glory yet to be revealed, a future hope, a future grace that is yet to come. See, Jesus intervened into this story. He, he was subjected to the same kinds of things. He went through the seasons. He felt the betrayals. He felt the brokenness. He felt the corruption. He felt all of it. And he came at a certain time. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. So that through Christ and the gift of his spirit, we could cry out to God as a father. Abba, Father. And that was in the fullness of time that Jesus came and he changed that, that kind of cycle to give us a sense of hope, a hope that the author of Ecclesiastes didn't fully gra- grasp yet. You'll feel it in the, in the author's thing. He's like, at the end of the day, I'm gonna trust God. There's a judgment coming. I don't, I don't totally understand that how it's gonna happen. Here's what I know from what I perceive under the sun. I, I was made from dust. The animal was made from dust. I received the breath of God. Animals receive the breath of God. I'm gonna die and my body's gonna be buried. The animal's gonna die and its body's gonna be buried. Do I know if my spirit's gonna go up or down? I don't really know. I don't really know. I've never seen it. I don't see it. But he trusted that God was gonna sort it out. And when Jesus came into this world, he came to sort it out, to show you how judgment and salvation happens, that there is life beyond the grave. How do we know? Because 2,000 years ago, a buried body walked out of a tomb. And when that stone was rolled away and that body emerged from the tomb, it gave this hope that even death itself is not the end of the story. Even your physical death is a part of the seasons. Even death is a precursor to new life, rebirth, a new spring a new age, a new creation that is yet to come. 
And so while we're going through this life to learn that even your sorrows and your grief, even the egregious ones and the traumas that feel unspeakable, in the Apostle Paul's words, will feel in the end like light momentary affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory that is yet to come. In fact, Paul says that the light momentary afflictions, which for him included imprisonment, betrayal, being stoned, beaten, shipwrecked, famine, alone, forgotten in prison, all these really painful things, rejected by people he loves, all that. He said these are like light momentary affliction. And it's, it's creating, it's cultivating an eternal weight of glory. Just like the cross was the precursor to the resurrection, so the pain and the suffering and the sorrow in this world is not the end of the story. It's all held in the hands of a God who sees you and who loves you and who's tasted pain with you, who has sympathy and compassion for you, and has promised he has the ability to even redeem death itself. That all the sorrow and all the tears and all the sin and all the death is not the end of the story. The day is coming when death will be no, no more, neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Sin will be no more. The former things will be gone, and he will make all things new. This is the hope that Christ gives all who trust in him, and it helps us to live with faithfulness in the midst of whatever season of life you may be facing. Let's pray. Jesus, even now, we pray for your spirit to help us in the different seasons that each of us are facing. Spirit of God, would you bring tender, care to those who need tender care? Would you bring strong confrontation to those who need strong confrontation? Would you bring an encouragement to those who feel weary? Would you bring exactly what each person in this room needs as they think about who you are and where you are and the seasons that they're facing? And I pray that you'd help us to trust you, to walk with you, to enjoy the gifts, to trust you in the struggle, and to hope to hope in your love and to hope in your redeeming purposes. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. More information and more resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Take care.